Hey there. Thank you for creating time to tune in to today's episode. My name is Adriana and this is the PMDD podcast. I am warning listeners that there may be sensitive topics surrounding mental health and health procedures. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. I am super excited to introduce our next guest, who is Dr. Peter Mejia. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. Oh, where do I even begin? So I spoke about you in my first episode, uh, which was the episode that I spoke about my journey. And the reason being is because you were essentially the one that opened my eyes to PMDD. Now, I'm not sure whether you actually even know how I got into your practice. I was actually at my dentist. Mm. And I, quick story, the nurse, the dental nurse was like, how are you doing today? And I said, you know what? I'm doing great because I just took a whole lot of painkillers for my period pain. And she's like, oh, wow. Is it really that bad? And I said, yeah, it really is. And she's like, well, you need to go and see my acupuncturist. And I was like, okay, who is this person? (laughs) And she said, well, just like to put it this way. He got me pregnant within three cycles. I was like, da-ding, all right, give me his number. <laughs> give me go. his number. So that's how we actually came, you know, our, our, our paths crossed. So, Doc, tell us, yeah, well. tell us, what is it that you do? Let's begin there. Well, I'm uh, well traditionally trained in Chinese medicine and acupuncture, but um, I started my studies in naturopathy. Um, a lot of people don't really know that unless you've sort of listened to some of my podcasts. So it gives me an advantage in a sense of like bouncing from the traditional East Asian model of thinking, which is obviously, you know, what commonly people will know is, um, you know, a lot of people think it's energy based, but it's, it's actually got a lot of scientific grounding. And um, the other training that I've got, yeah, is in studies in naturopathy. And I think that I'm so blessed to have done both. Um, And because of that, I have the ability then to treat people and make sure that their treatment plans make sense. So Mm -hmm. ordinarily, you can go to an acupuncturist as an example, and there's nothing wrong with acupuncturists out there, and I'm not any better. But traditionally, the experience that people will get is that they think that it is very much like a kinesiology. There's going to be this energetic, esoteric shift. And so for me, as great as that is, I really like to get down to the nuts and bolts of what's happening for an individual. And I know sometimes that acupuncture is quite profound. I know that herbal medicine is quite profound, which we're probably going to talk about later with related to PMS and PMDD. Um, I'm looking at the connection between the gut and the brain, the, you know, but, you know, how was your sort of, to a certain degree, you know, how did everything come about? How, you know, I'm really trying to be the mechanic for the body and the mind and extract as much information as I can from women, because I specialize in women's health and chronic pain management. And then from there, I usually build like a really good treatment plan where they understand how they might be there. Of course, with PMDD, which we're going to um, sort of discuss, it's a little bit more difficult. But I want every woman to walk out of my clinic understanding 
not that they just got acupuncture, but they're in for a health journey mm. and understanding what role they have in making themselves better. Mm. And that's, you know, that's always been my passion is really, you know, I'd say, you know, it, it'd be like a women's health body mechanic, just dissecting everything, allowing women to understand and be heard, which is probably the most important thing. Yeah, so my role really is using my training, which is the the women's health, the naturopathic medicine, Chinese medicine, and you know, and ongoing further studies where you know I'm I'm always seeking ongoing mentoring. I think I've been in practice almost ten years now, and of those ten years, they've been straight into the women's health, mm. and it's something that you know. I remember last year, you know, when when COVID happened, and um, you know things became really restrictive with me. Um, you know, treating people during urgent care, I, I realized that when you, people are like, you know, would you, you know, is this something that you plan on doing for another 10, 20, 30 years? It's a question I get all the time. <clears throat> and last year really was, it became evident when I was taken away from the ability to treat women because it wasn't considered, you know, falling pregnant, um, treating PMS, treating, you know, mild to severe endometriosis symptoms wasn't at that time seen as, you know, an emergency, but to me it was, mm. and that's where it really started to affect me in the sense that I'm like, well, why is it that as a society, we think that only drugs and surgery is sort of the answer. And, you know, I had people calling me all the time, people that were anxious, people that were getting depressed, people that were really going through their PMDD, um, PMS, or, you know, just, just a very vulnerable time last year and compounded with their horrible period symptoms which were amplifying and people were stagnant they weren't moving they'd lost their jobs you know their nutrition went downstream because when you're really stressed you tend to have foods that are hyper palatable meaning like high sugar high salt high fat you know there's really tasty good foods <laughs> which are great for people to have but you have them on an ongoing basis you're going to create an inflammatory response and so last year was a really big shock to me in the sense that i was like you know what if there was anything i wanted to do um, I would have opened up a clinic and just treated people for free, to be honest. And that's where I knew I'm like, yeah, this is definitely, you know, when somebody felt like they were taking it away from me, I'm like, this is something that I plan on doing specifically in the women's health sphere. Um, you know, it pretty much until my time is up on this planet. Mm. Oh, so many questions I want to ask from just that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so how did you, how did you segue into to women's health? Was that like straight away or was no. it like, how did that actually happen? I'm intrigued. Because um, actually when I was in uni and I, I was studying the naturopathy and then I transitioned into Chinese medicine acupuncture, um, I really wanted to have versatility. So the reason I left naturopathy is because um, it's phenomenal. I think it's great for autoimmune conditions. You know, a lot of people know it for gut disorders. A lot of people know it for hormones. But I was limited in the sense that um, if we were to treat someone like, uh, you know, that had endometriosis, there's a complexity there. And the complexity is the gut the immune response it's the psychology but the pain can be really tackled with the acupuncture so when i looked more into the acupuncture i was just like all right cool there's there's a there's a mechanical physical aspect that i can apply on women to really give them some relief as well as applying the naturopathic principles of quelling the the fire and the root cause but while i was in union i had no intention of doing that i had every intention of just being some sort of type like orthopedic sports physio style you know, fixed shoulders, fixed back, you know, sort of fixed headaches and things like that. In fact, when I was doing my gynecology and hormone 
subjects. Um, I was literally just there and, and I was just, you know, just typical man rolling my eyes being like, I'm never going to do this. This is so stupid. Um, <clears throat> and I just remember I had no interest. And it's, you know, being a man, like, I mean, I, you know, I'm very lucky that my mom, you know, she doesn't really, she never had bad periods. She never had a history of, um, you know, gynecological issues that I was aware of anyway, that she would, you know, that would be my influence. A lot of people ask mm. me that, they're like, you must have sisters. You must have aunties and mums who all have some sort of history. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, look, I'm, I don't have any um, backstory in that sense. And so when I was in uni, I really just wanted to, to go out in the world and be the best at treating muscular aches and pains. But mm. it happens to be that the first clinic that um, took me on, took me on with the intent of using my um, male characteristics to treat uh, musculoskeletal conditions and at the time I still didn't have an interest in um, women's health it was sort of I was motivated into it because the practitioner um, it wasn't really the nicest experience in my first few years of sort of practice because um, the practitioner back then had pretty much looked at me and they're like look she's like oh, you're a lovely individual but I don't like your tattoos <laughs> I don't like your hair I don't like your piercings <clears throat> um, and she's like, and, and the final, like, uh, nail in the coffin for um, that component was, um, you know, she's like, women will never come to you. <gasps> they will always be afraid of you and, and you're just not going to be able to cut the mustard and with, with, with women. And I was just like, <clears throat> I, rem- I, I remember that. I will never forget the emotion that I, like my heart sank um, in the sense of, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I'm here to help people. I'm not here to be judged. I'm not here to be, um, you know, coached into, um, you know, just the musculoskeletal sort of realm. I'm here to be mentored and, you know, be taught by someone who's like, you know, quite senior in the industry. But, you know, she was quite adamant that because of my appearance and because of my masculinity that it just wouldn't work and that women wouldn't pay to come see me. And the moment I heard that, it was just like game on. My brain, something in my brain was just like just lit up and I went from having zero interest in women's health to like, you know, bringing out my textbooks again bringing out anything and everything that I could learn to like really excel myself. And it was only designed to be like, to be honest, in the beginning, it was only designed to be, to just prove her wrong. Mm. That's all I wanted to be like, you know what? I can be a male in a female, you know, I don't think I don't need a vagina. I don't need boobs to to be able to treat women. I Mm. don't need empathy. Isn't just because I, you know, I need to have period pain to be able to empathize. I need to go through PMS, PMDD to be able to empathize. There's so many different ways in which you can empathize with people. And I think once I started to treat women and then they started getting better or they started getting pregnant when they couldn't get pregnant, um, I was like, wow, like, you know, the, the, these women got better. And so they sent me people because that's what word of mouth does. It's like, you've got to go see this guy. He's, you know, very, you know, people would say, you know, he just listens. That's, that's the primary thing that people say. He listens to your story. He treats you like a human being. He doesn't disregard or dismiss any feeling or anything that you're going through. And then, you know, he'll, he'll come up with a, a, some sort of like treatment plan. And I remember thinking the more women that came, I was like, oh God, this was only supposed to be temporary. <laughs> I was only supposed to prove my point. And, uh, but I fell in love with it because the more I learned about women, the more I started to realize that there was a big sexism in research. So we know that a lot of research in pharmaceutical drugs are done primarily on males females are 50% more likely to react to drugs as an example. Mm. So there is so much. And the more I started to, to learn about things like endometriosis and how 
sadly it's becoming a common thing or polycystic ovarian syndrome or hypothalamic amenorrhea and how it was like, you know, a quick scan of the ovaries and you had multiple cysts, therefore you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Lo and behold, the person has just come off the pill and that's a common presentation. But doctors mm. are so quick to diagnose and judge. Not to say that, you know, I have incredible doctors in Melbourne and now in Gold Coast because I'm in Gold Coast now. But the more I learned, or even like, you know, with PMDD as an example, you know, you've got 5 to 8% of women who go on to suffer from PMDD statistically. And a lot of the times, you know, you have to listen to their story. You have to pay attention to their symptoms and you have to get them help. Sometimes that's with me. Sometimes that's a collaborative effort. Sometimes it's a, it's a short-term thing. Sometimes it's a, it's a long-term thing. And so the more I treated women, the more complicated they became. Mm. Fibromyalgia added to the mix, um, you know, chronic pain disorders and sensitization of the nervous system. And it just, for me, it's just like I would have women come through my door and, you know, within seconds they'd be in tears because um, they had seen every specialist, neurologist, you know, gynecologist. And it was always like, let's just take out your uterus. Let's just introduce, you know, the hormonal contraceptive pill and mix it up with some antidepressants. Mm. Um, and a lot of the times women have made it feel crazy. Mm. Classic one is, you know, um, uh, you know, people could have a subclinical thyroid disorder which brings about fatigue, the inability to lose weight um, efficiently, which is always going to be detrimental to the psyche. Um, you know, just cognitive decline as far as like memory lapses. And, you know, a, a, a female will commonly go get her thyroid tested and a doctor will do a basic TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. And in their books, they will get um, the tick of approval in a sense of like, look, your TSH looks normal. A, a great example is that from a functional medicine perspective, which is something I practice, you're looking at a reference range between one and two. Yeah, anything above two. So when I see women with like a 3.5 or four, they will almost start to exhibit classical symptoms of subclinical hypothyroid. As a practitioner, I'll usually send them for extra work to confirm this. And, and lo and behold, the doctor's like, ah, oh, there we go. You know, you do have, um, you know, a hypothyroid, you know, sort of dysfunction, or you do have Hashimoto's, which is where it's autoimmune, you've got antibodies. But if they never got sent back by someone like me, <clears throat> then they would continue to believe that their blood work is normal and um, and continue to feel as if they were crazy. You're fatigued, that's that's you. You know, your 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 weight gain, you're eating too much. It's a symbol of calories in, calories out, and get it right, woman. And it's mm. just like, you know, seeing these women, and I'm like, there's got to be a better way. And if I can provide that better way or if i can find the team that can provide that better way then i will and so there you go almost 10 years on i haven't looked back and there's always more research coming out especially in the endometriosis sort of field um you know more research coming out in the pmdd field which is fantastic so there we are we are starting to see more research come out which is fantastic the sad thing is it's taken this bloody long but the silver lining is like better late than never i guess yeah totally Oh, and I mean, I don't know whether you would remember our first session, but I mean, I speak about you all the time because, mm. because I came in and I had seen, so I actually saw a, a female acupuncturist before you. I remember seeing her in Sydney um, and I was doing the research and trying to find doctors, et cetera. And obviously I came to see you and I reckon it was within two to three minutes that you, I, I was you know, doing my spiel and like, this is what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And you just went silent and you looked at me and you said, do you have PMDD? And 
my world from that moment completely changed, right? And exactly what you were saying before and why people recommend you is because you saw me. You Mm. asked the right questions. And, you know, I speak to so many women with PMDD and AFAB community as well. And from starting the podcast, they've said, finally, someone is out there talking about it. I feel seen you know it's just mm. even just that just yeah. to be seen and not and to not be told you're crazy not to be get go to a GP and tick some sort of questionnaire and then go yeah you've got depression here have some tablets you know and I just think and also what else you said before about you know, the hysterectomies as well. And I think that was another catalyst for this uh, podcast is because I'm like, there has to be another way. What, you know, really? absolutely like the, the, the GP, you know, pathway was have the pill if that doesn't work. Here's some SSRIs. If that doesn't work, let's talk about, you know, hormonal replacement therapy. And then, oh, if that doesn't work, we'll just take everything out. And I thought, this is just this is just ridiculous and there has to be another way. So I'm just I'm just so grateful to you. I really, really am. It's <laughs> my question that I want to ask. So you said that you're, you know, you're a mechanic, right? Yeah. So when you pop the hood, what mm-hmm. are the things like what are some of the initial things? And the reason why I'm asking this is that, you know, for women and AFAB community that are out there that are seeing their you know, they're specialists at the moment. Like what are the questions that you are asking because um, or, you know, what are the sort of the information that you're trying to gather to paint this picture? Because I just think it's so important that, you know, that it's not just blood work, et cetera. There's actually quite a, a few things. What are the things that you're looking for to paint the picture? Oh, that's it for me. It's like I'm I'm really just dissecting everything in the sense that you know it's like for me it's like what time are you going to bed? That's such an important thing. So we're talking about circadian rhythms and um, routine. We know mm-hmm. that routine, going to sleep at the same time, waking up at the same time, whether it be you know going down with um, the sun as in going to sleep, so roughly between nine to ten a.m. Um, is an ideal time. Why? Because you know melatonin, the sleep hormone, starts to come around, starts to come out around eight. Um, a healing hormone known as growth hormones that's come out around 10. That's It's not a random sort of time. And when we wake up and we have routine, we're, we're set up, you know, to take on that day and, you know, be more successful. So the first thing is tell me about your sleep habits and I'll tell you about your health. Mm. And from there, it's like we're going to, you know, talk about your gut health, you know, because we know that there's a deep connection between the gut and the brain known as the gut-brain axis. We know that, for example, when we're talking about things like serotonin, we know the bulk of your serotonin is generated in your gut. So you need really healthy gut bacteria. So a classic example will be if someone says to me, look, Peter, I get a lot of bloating as an example. Bang, tell me how long you've had the bloating for. Tell me if you've been overseas. Have you caught a, uh, you know, a common one is um, looking at things like food poisoning. Where did you get it? And, and how did you feel afterwards? And most people are like, yeah, I've got food poisoning. And ever since, I haven't been the same. So we know that we've got a gut inflammatory immune component happening in your stomach. And if that doesn't get resolved, then it's like you're starting this healing process with a big hole in your bucket. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you're just going to go round and round and round in circles. We have to work on regulating your gut bugs, 
reducing the inflammation and then plugging the holes, which is usually the gut lining. So we're trying to figure out whether you have like what's traditionally known as leaky gut, because mm. that's both related to endometriosis. It's related to so many different diseases. This is an overactive um, response in the stomach. And then people start reacting to all different foods that they never did before. So then they tag themselves as FODMAP. And often it's a bacterial problem, which is, um, you know, at the root cause. From there, you know, I start asking about your pooping habits because as a society, particularly with women, there's a conditioning that it's okay to be constipated or okay to have a bowel motion every three days or once a week if you've always been like that. Mm. The thing is you heal at nighttime. So, you know, when we're talking about sleep, if you do drop into sleep, and you know you're you've had you know you've had you've had a workout you've you know you've had a big day of you know just doing corporate work or doing you know your podcasting you consolidate your memories at nighttime but you also heal at nighttime you know it's your rest and repair and with that I always tell my clients it's like you know it's like cooking a storm in your kitchen yeah you're you're, you're creating these really good recipes to fuel the body but there's a byproduct there's eggshells there's just shit that you've got to throw into the bin and you've got to tip it up the next day. Or what's going to happen? You're going to get infestation. You're going to get cockroaches. You're going to get flies. You're going to get all sorts of dirty things. And for women in particular, I find there's a huge problem with constipation. So mm. you're literally reabsorbing your shit. You're reabsorbing your hormone. So if you're generating things like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and all sorts of different things, there are byproducts of that that need to be excreted. It's just a natural way for us to detoxify. And many women and some men as well tend to be chronically constipated. So we're looking at, you know, we're looking at what you put in your mouth, looking at how your gut's functioning, looking at how your bowels are functioning, if they're regular, you know, sometimes, or a lot of the times I'll go as, as far as like, all right, cool. Do you remember if you were cesarean or do you remember if you were um, natural birth? Because that's going to tell me about your gut microbiota and how it was set up, how the this, this stage was set for you to have vulnerabilities in the gut. Because there's a difference between cesarean and vaginal birth where you get the vaginal um, bacteria that generates a lot of your gut bacteria and kicks off the process and vitamin K is made. And, you know, that's how you make your vitamin K as a human. And then from there, you know, you often hear people like, oh, I was cesarean. And I'm like, and you can often say to people, let me guess, there was, now you've got a history of antibiotics because you got grommets, you got, you know, tonsillitis, you got, you know, recurrent illnesses. People are like, yeah, oh my God, from the age of like one to, you know, 12, I was taking antibiotics all the time. So what, what is that going to do mm-hmm. to your gut microbiome? Yeah, and if you take antibiotics at a very young age, and I'm not saying they, they're not needed, they, they there are certain that my kids have taken, but rarely, um, because you have to stop infections from progressing at a rapid rate. But when it becomes a recurrent problem, like mm-hmm. tonsillitis or um, ear infections, again, we're looking at just throwing a pill. And unfortunately, when it comes to children and antibiotics, once you just begin to disrupt the gut microbiota, there's certain species that will never repopulate itself again. They're gone forever. Mm. yeah so as a young female then then you then go into um, womanhood which is you know getting your period from the ages of 10 to 15 and now we add another shitstorm of hormones the body tries to establish itself which is where my next questioning is for a lot of women how old are you at your period how did it feel when you got your period did it establish itself really quickly and regulate itself or was it a bit like sort of stagnated you know you'd spot and bleed for one day and then you wouldn't see it for three months what was happening during that time? What was happening at home? You know, a lot of divorces, unfortunately, start to happen. And then we've got trauma that gets involved. You know what I mean? And then that's, and the problem with trauma in my my sort of latest um, findings is that, you know, your 
the creation of estrogen during your menstrual cycle. So the menstrual cycle doesn't fully establish itself until the age of about 21, 22. This is why it's not a good idea to introduce the pill before that time. Mm. But hey, it's probably another podcast altogether. Estrogen helps the nervous system unravel itself in a female to establish appropriate connections to pain or reducing pain. And anytime there's trauma, you have an excess level of stimulation because maybe mom and dad are going through divorce. And at the same time, your body's trying to figure out what the fuck is happening in the world, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Once you go through all that sort of stuff with um, females, then you sort of, all right, cool, let's bring it all together, which is my job. And then I will be like, cool, this is your primary. This is what we've got to tackle first. And what we've got to tackle is obviously we've got to get your bowels moving because if your bowels are moving, you're going to feel more comfortable, you're going to be detoxifying, you're going to feel lighter. We're going to reduce the inflammation in your stomach, which is going to help with brain function, or we're going to start really tackling your sleep. So you're getting into deep and REM sleep and getting into this really good you know, routine patterns. And this is why I tell my clients when they hear me speak, they're like, what the fuck are you? Because a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, they are expecting to just get needles. That's it. Needles and see you later. And they're like, who are you? And I'm, I'm an educator. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell you to take accountability and I'm here to listen to your story and then piece it together for you. Like hopefully like nobody else ever has so that you understand when you walk out, this is, I'm not crazy. That's the first thing I want women to understand. I'm not crazy and you're not crazy. Every pain is valid, whether it be small or whether it be massive. And that's my thing. Every time I hear that from women, you know, whether it be when they say to me, oh my God, I'm, I'm, you know, they're just, they've got a pimple as an example. It's game over. If you've never had a pimple in your life (laughs) and, you know, all of a sudden you're 28 and you start coming up with two pimples for that person, that's horrendous. Mm. You know what I mean? And so a lot of people go to the doctor, they're like, oh, well, go on the pill or use this, you know, go see a dermatologist or, you know, you're being a little sore or it's, you know, it's all in your head sort of thing. It's two pimples. When I see them, I'm like, well, if it's important to you, it's important to me. If the two pimples are bothering you, then they bother me. Let's figure out a plan of attack. And that's essentially what I'm like with women where it's dissecting their body, looking under the bonnet, figuring out where it all began from, where their vulnerabilities may have come from genetically, um, you know, things that happened in their childhood. And we're not going through, by the way, we're not going through some sort of like Freudian, let's get on the chair and dissect what's happened. Mm-hmm. If I do detect that there is a lot of trauma that people need to unpack, then I will refer to a really good professional that can unpack that with them because that story deserves the time and it deserves the respect that I do me as far as the mechanical sort of the internal, the blood work, the herbs. And, you know, there's a really good psychotherapist, psychologist, could be a kinesiologist, whatever tickles the fancy. And that's the other thing I listen to with, with women. I try and pick up, are they very scientifically minded? You know, are they, are they very logical and they need to see a psychologist because obviously, you know, psychologists goes through the very formal training. They go on to do a master's degree to be able to do their, their um, private practice. Um, or is the person more energetic? Are they more into the chakra system? Are they more into um, the flow of energy and meditation? Do you then need a breath coach? Do you then need a, a really good supporting kinesiologist? Do you need a really good Reiki session? And that's where I've built up connections over time because I know my place in the journey of healing and I know the place of others. Mm. You just told my whole story as well. Well, my, <laughs> like when you were talking about, you know, when did you get your period? Yep, I got mine at 16. 
how regular was it after that? Well, it wasn't. It came six months later. Thought there was something wrong with me. What was happening at that time during in my life? Well, there was a divorce happening, (laughs) you know, and then there was painful periods when they came in, went to see a GP. Here's the pill, was on the pill by, you know, by the the age of 17. Um, And it's, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, it's crazy that that, that was the, the pathway for me. And I, I think I was on the pill for, for eight, nine years after that. And it's just, you know, what, what effect that has, you know, and, and everything is in the past now. But it's interesting that you just, and I know we've seen each other before and everything, but I, yeah, it's just, it's just, this is all these things are coming back to me, you know, and I, um and also you, and you spoke about, um, you know, we're not just having a one-man band, you know, it's like that we do need so many other people um, on our team. Um, and I remember you actually did um, put me on to, um, I think, a, a spiritual healer, Chakra, beautiful, beautiful lady, and I had so many amazing sessions with her, and that's exactly what I needed at that time. So, mm. again, thank you. <laughs> so when somebody with... PMDD comes in. I know that you don't necessarily diagnose it, but what are some things that are like, you know, that are prevalent that you're like, oh, she is, he, you know, she, AFAB, is um, presenting PMDD specifically, uh, specific symptoms? Uh, To be honest, like a lot of the times, you know, most of the time, because I would deal with so many women, it, it, I can say it's a little bit easier to see there's there's quite a big difference. And probably the main difference really is um, essentially they want to be wrapped up in their bed and they know and they, they just want a dark space and they never want to leave. And that is a big one. And it's not a momentary thing. Mm. Um, I think when people tell me, like, I don't want to get out of bed um, or they're thinking, you know, sort of thoughts worse than that. And it is, um, you know, almost straight after ovulation as an example. So not the three days before, not the one day before, and it tends to linger for a lot longer, you know, than two weeks. And sometimes it rears its ugly head, um, you know, and it's not post-ovulation. So it lingers, you know, past the period, just, you know, teetering on the follicular phase where I know that your hormones are going into a baseline. That's what happens during the period is you you get a three-day reset. And then, you know, you get a steady decline and estrogen, as an example, is a stimulator of mood. It is a stimulator of energy. That's why the follicular phase is the phase of um, being energetic and a phase of creativity. You know, it's the best time for women to to do the most they want out of their career or their life. But when women see me and they're like, look, I feel, you know, I feel like I, I don't want to get out of bed. It can be two weeks. And even when I've got my period, it just gets even worse. They don't want to see sunlight. They don't want to do anything. And that's like a telltale for me because you're not really looking at an ebb and, an ebb and flow. You're not looking at the, oh, you know, Monday was a really bad day, but come Tuesday, I was coming out. Come Wednesday, I was good. I'm like, all right, cool. That's more PMS. PMDD is a little bit different in that a lot of these anxiety, depressive, you know, um, feelings, the feeling of stagnation, the feeling of rage and irritability is at a level that um, you can you just see it wearing down that person. Mm. And then once their estrogen starts to kick in, as an example, because it's creative and their body starts to feel it. So, for example, uh, what some of the research shows that there is a genetic variability in the estrogen receptor one. So estrogen receptor one, if it's not functioning properly, then you won't be as sensitive to estrogen, meaning that you can create estrogen, but you might not feel it as much as the usual female, which Mm. because it's the um, hormone that 
gives you creativity and gives you stimulation and gives you energy. If you have a dysfunction in this gene, then you're not going to feel all those things as much as other women. And it just takes longer. So you're kind of semi-desensitized to estrogen. That's just one theory behind PMDD. So I look at these things. I'm looking at, at, at cycles. How long is your cycle? You know, how, how, how much is your, you know, bleed? So, you know, are you bleeding in excess? Are you having, um, you know, very little, like, you know, one, one day sort of bleed and it's sort of done. And pretty much, again, like I said, where I'm looking at all these different things with, with women, it's majority of the time it's like, okay, cool. Your, your level of depression that you're describing and your lack of zest for life is going on for way too long as in in that month and it's rearing its ugly head way too often it's quite simply debilitating like mm-hmm. at a whole different level there's debilitating pain and then there's debilitating like you it's just like a, a fog that women describe that they can't clear mm. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Definitely all the symptoms that I um definitely have experienced over the time I wonder from your perspective and with all your knowledge, like how do you describe PMDD, right? So when you go onto the websites and you look at, um, you know, the the descriptions, do you agree with them? Is there more to them? Because, you know, they say that it's, they're, they're saying it's not a hormonal imbalance. It's, you know, that somebody with PMDD, reacts differently to the natural fluctuations of progesterone and estrogen that are happening in the luteal phase. Do you, are you agreeing with that? Is that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is why, like, you know, if you were to say, and this is why it's dangerous for people to be like, oh, I'm estrogen dominant. Mm. And this is where people have to be very, um, and so it, you know, I, I remember reading something, it's like, oh, I don't have, um, I don't have a hormonal problem. I have a sensitivity problem. Mm. That's probably what, describes pmdd where it is more a sensitivity sort of aspect of like how so for example like um in the luteal phase you produce progesterone with progesterone you also um it stimulates gaba gaba is your calming hormone it's a relaxant it allows you to sleep with pmdd there's um uh there's been sort of what they've seen is that you can be extra sensitive to progesterone and gaba so that as it begins to decline you know sort of three days out there's just a steep fall and that's where they're talking about sensitivity, where that fall for the average female because her receptors, and it all it boils down to sort of the receptivity or the receptors and how they respond. In the average female, as it declines, it's like, oh, yeah, I feel a little bit like slow or a little bit irritable. But in PMDD, it's different. This is why we're saying about the estrogen receptor. We're looking at um, there's genes relating to serotonin as well. Um, there's just other sort of hidden family genes as well. There's a really strong link to seasonal affective disorder, so vitamin D status. And in the winter, we see that PMDD tends to be worse. Mm. That's not a hormonal thing. That's a vitamin D thing. But vitamin D is a hormone. It's not a vitamin. You know what I mean? And it has all these really cool functions in it sensitizes you. So a deficiency in vitamin D can, you know, really, really, and again, seasonal defect, you don't have to have PMDD, but I'm sure you're aware of plenty of people that get really strong depressive mm. symptoms. I know now that, you know, I was saying recently, even as a man, now that I'm here on the Gold Coast, um, it's chalk and cheese as mm. far as like the way I can get away with so much more here on the Gold Coast because the sun is always shining mm. and my vitamin D is probably optimized compared to going through the exact same level of stress um, in Victoria. Like I, I don't think 
I, you know, I would have fared up mentally because even as a practitioner, I have, you know, my own chink in the armor and I'm human and, you know, can have my vulnerable stages, but the sun can be a huge and vitamin D status is a huge game changer. So that has to be factored into these women with um, PMDD as well. So how responsive are you to the external things? How sensitive are you to the hormonal fluctuations? So, you know, GABA, progesterone, estrogen, even glutamate is something that's not really discussed mm. that tends to rear its ugly head. So we're looking at, you know, are you having foods that have too much additives and, and flavor enhancers like MSG? How is that contributing to the overstimulation of the neurons in the brain? And then when everything plummets, like your progesterone, is that also a causal factor to the exacerbation of your PMS or PMDD? And again, these are things that are not discussed with women. How your diet impacts, you know, you said so yourself, where diet, meditation, breath work, because what does all that stuff do? It lowers inflammation. Yeah. Mm. And when you lower the inflammatory response, you sensitize yourself in an appropriate manner. Classic example would be, you know, if we do a progesterone test with women, we'll be like, yeah, well, your progesterone levels are fine according to your blood work. So the serum progesterone levels traditionally done on day 21, where we see peak levels of progesterone. So you might get that tested from a doctor and be like, oh, it looks fine. But if we do a 24-hour cortisol um, saliva test, we would see that your cortisol levels are like off the Richter scale all, all the time. Mm. So what that's what's that's go, what that's going to do in the end is it's going to change how your body and your receptors respond to progesterone. Yeah. Mm. So normal levels of progesterone, high levels of cortisol and adrenaline pumping through your system because you're in constant fight and flight mode, then leads to this um, desensitization of progesterone as in the feeling that your body's supposed to be getting as far as the relaxation isn't felt because you're in a chronic state of inflammation and stress. So that's the root cause is figuring out what's stressing you out so much, you know, what's causing the state of inflammation. And like I said, last year was a, a really classic case where you saw the destructive nature of having sugar and alcohol and not moving like that's mm. like, and not getting sun, mm. but, you know, just absolutely saw all these things rear their ugly head quite, quite severely and so for again back to you know dealing with it is it was reducing the inflammatory load for a lot of these women sensitizing them to um, appropriate hormone sort of um, sensations and what they should be feeling um, and even things like journaling you know really working on their mindset journaling get, get, you know cre- you know creating goals um, you know things to have something to look forward to productivity all these things help the brain remold itself so it changes. So, um, you know, to answer your question, I don't, it's definitely not just the hormonal thing because we, we've done, we've done, you know, and if it was just the hormonal thing, so even, so we know, so from a, a naturopathic perspective, we've got Vitex, we've got B6, um, saffron is really good, but do you know why saffron is really good? Because it's an anti-inflammatory. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So 30 milligrams has been shown over three months, 30, 30 milligrams a day for women with PMDD over a three month plus period has been shown to significantly reduce PMDD. And it's not because it's working on neurotransmitters. It's because it's working on the inflammatory load. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you can miss the big picture when I think people talk about like depression or they talk about PMDD and we, we go back to the, um, you know, the unbalanced neurochemical theory of the brain. Oh, there's a deficiency in serotonin. Therefore, we'll give you an SSRI, which is the serotonin reuptake inhibitor to make sure that the serotonin lingers in the brain for longer 
it's a theory. Yeah, and it doesn't work. Some people are worse. Some people get suicidal thoughts on SSRIs. And it's not to say, again, when I say all this stuff, I don't mean to make the audience feel like I'm anti-drugs. By no means am I anti-drugs. I've seen SSRIs be used acutely. And it's, and it's always been part of the um, what I listen to with people. It's like, all right, cool. So there's so many women that I see and they're on an SSRI. You know, mm-hmm. multi, there's so many different brands out there. And the first question I ask as a practitioner, same as the pill, is it serving you still? Yep. And if you feel like it is, how do you know that it's still serving you? Like, well, how have you talked to your doctor? Have you talked to psychologists saying, have we tried to go from 50 milligrams to 30 milligrams just to see where I'm at at 30 milligrams, 30 milligrams, 15 milligrams? Um, have we tried to titrate it and then apply all these other methods of dealing with stress or whatever it is that's happening to make sure that, yes, you still need to be on that drug? And most of the time, like, no, nobody has that <laughs> chat with me. They've been on it for like 10, 20, 15 years. And it's just like, well, so how do you know you should still be taking it? You know what I mean? Mm. And if it is working for you, so someone, let's just say someone says to me, you know what, Peter, um, I actually had that idea. I did have a chat to, because I would always say to people, look, go have a chat to your doctor. I'm not mm. going to play around with your medication, but maybe you have a chat. And they're like, look, from 50 milligrams, you can go to 25 milligrams as an example. And they're like, yeah, I really felt the difference. And I'm like, well, did you stay on it? You know, did you stay on that 25 milligrams and then adapt because it's a drug, it's changing things, yeah? And then you felt normal again? Or did you just get really quickly scared because you're dropping a chemical there and then you just jump back on it? You know, so essentially you develop kind of a weird addiction to the SSRIs. Mm. It's a crutch. Mm. And that's part of, again, what we're looking at. So if we, for example, then if we're talking about a female that has mental health issues and we're increasing her progesterone, she's, you know, got regular cycles, she's in a loving relationship, she's learned her self-worth and loves herself, which is the most important thing. Um, I can almost guarantee we can wean off, you know, drugs with the help of her doctor and then enhance her quality of life. Because the other thing I'm all about is optimizing people. I don't want you to stay stagnant. I don't want you to stay at this low level of like, oh, I'm just okay. I want you to thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everyone deserves to be there. We don't need to just be scraping the barrel and making it through, which is just surviving, chronically stressed, chronically inflamed. Because, you know, you, your chances of going into a relapse of PMDD, depression, whatever you're going through is too high for me. And again, this is why I'm so big on educating people. Yeah. And I'm always so big on working with people's doctors as well. So that's what I was saying to those that are listening out there. It's not that I'm anti-drugs. It's just that my question is always like, is that drug still serving you? Have you talked to your doctor? Do you have a game plan? Definitely. You know, I've heard some horrible stories and I, I remember one of them was, um, you know, it was, it was a male and uh, he'd lost his partner. Well, suddenly he was only like in his late twenties, was recently engaged. And um, it was a, a really big example of um, the acute <coughs> usage of antidepressants. And um, yeah, he said he was in a really bad way to the point where he was sort of, you know, on the brink of sort of suicide. And I can't even imagine what that feels like, you know, to lose your partner all of a sudden. Mm. And he said, yeah, but when I was put on medication by my doctor, it really took me out. I was really able to go out back into society. I was able to go back into my work of, you know, going nine to five. And then um, he's like, yeah. And then that doctor had, you know, said to me, you know, when you feel up to it, we'll talk about winning you off. So Mm. there was a game plan. I was so happy to hear that. You know what I mean? And that's a classic case where, I would not, as much as, you know, as an acupuncturist, there's a lot we can do for grief. There's a lot of purple medicine we can do for grief. In that instance, I would have been like, yeah, all the power to you. Fantastic. Because that's the first thing we need to do. We need to integrate and collaborate to get you back into society, feeling like you're a part of a tribe and 
um, you know, in your finding your happiness and your joy. I don't, mm. there's definitely a world that exists where we're not butting heads and thinking that no drugs are evil. Um, you know, alternative medicine is just the hippy dippy stuff. I'm like, it's not like that. And, you know, in Melbourne, I've got some fantastic doctors and in the Gold Coast, I found some fantastic integrative GPs as well. So for the listeners out there, there is definitely a world where we're not butting heads, where mm. it's not, oh my God, you're going alternative. Um, you're a hippie. Oh my God, you're going Western. Therefore you're a sellout. You don't want to get to the root cause. And like, it's just knowing how to use things for how long to use them. Um, and then is it creating a game plan for people? Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, totally. You need a game plan. That's just so, so important. Doc, I could sit here and spend hours with you chatting about this and I'm almost tempted to try and get you back on because I can just imagine there's going to be so many people out there that have just taken home so many, so much valuable information from what you've said. I've already learned so much and I, you know, I I never think that I, I know everything about PMDD, but there was so like there was so much relevant information for all women and AFAB out there that you just spoke about. So I am so truly grateful for your time. So I need to know how how can people find you if I'm now that I, I thought you were in Melbourne. <laughs> You're no, the yeah, no. So I'm very lucky in the sense that yeah, obviously I you know, I left um, Melbourne, but I left my clinic behind in the sense that it still exists. So I have two beautiful um, women's health practitioners. So one is uh, Dr. Rachel and the other one is Dr. Claire. And so they still work at my Hyatt's clinic. So there's a website, which is pretty much www.hmhb.com.au. And I myself, I'm in the Gold Coast, um, specifically in Burley Heads. I'm very lucky to be here. And the easiest way to reach us is through Instagram because we're always... Mm-hmm. Uh, giving out this information for women because I'm passionate about educating women and we never know when we're going to strike a chord with people that are either listening or, you know, you know, hearing me chat on my sort of videos or, you know, there's a post that resonates with people and they're just like, wow, like that one really, you know, really hit home. Mm. And I think I'm ready to take on that health journey with them. Wow. So Instagram. Yeah. Perfect. Holistic holistic bodies. All right, I'm going to pop all these um, all these notes in the um, in the show notes, um, Doctor. You do realize I'm on the Gold Coast too? No, I didn't. <laughs> and I mean, two suburbs away from you. So guess what? I'm going to be coming yeah, to wow. see <laughs> coming to see you. Small world. Very soon. I can't believe that. Um, yeah. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. I am truly, truly grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please ensure that you like, subscribe, follow, or whatever it is that you need to do to keep up to date with new episodes on your podcast listening platform. If you would like to get in touch with me, please email me at thepmddpodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure that you follow on Instagram, which is at the underscore PMDD podcast. Thank you so much again. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Much love.